Hello, welcome to From the Rookery End. We're outside Rookery Road after Watford 4, Fulham 1. And uh, on this podcast, there we know Scheidenfreude uh, with Fulham. Uh, I'm, uh, my name's John, with me uh, is Jason. Good evening. Uh, DCW. Hello. And Colin. Oh, good evening. And, uh, well, what a game of two very different halves. First half was bright to begin with. Well, I, I, I was told that. I didn't get here until about uh, 15 minutes in because I was directing a play of the, of, uh, the Tempest. Anyway, we move on. Um, but it was a bright start, DCW, but quick, quickly didn't feel that way. It was one of those games where, you know, you, you may be looking for an early goal in the first five, ten minutes, and when it doesn't come, you could feel the team went a little bit within themselves. And I, I was with Mike's brother Andy tonight, and he turned to me and he went, this is like a Carabao Cup match, this. <laughs> and it felt a bit like that. The crowd wasn't at its, at its fullest tonight. The players obviously might have had Sunday on their mind, and they, they, they were probably expecting to beat Fulham, a team who have been relegated and were on the verge of being relegated, and it just all felt, oh, Pereira wasn't going in, not that, he, not that he does anyway, but he was pulling out of challenges, and it, they all felt a bit tentative, a bit slow, a bit lethargic, and, you know, at half-time, we, we needed changes. It was, wasn't good in that first half. Yeah, there was something good out of it. We, we did get a goal, but I say I got late into the game. Just after, literally eight o'clock, as I got through the door, and I didn't actually hear the crowd until I literally came and saw the Hornet shop. It was really, really quiet. I think there was a nerves in the air slightly, and a yeah, maybe not quite lethargic. But there was a goal in that first half. ECW might paint it terrible, terrible, but it, it wasn't all terrible. There was a, a few moments, and there was a goal, Jason, and it was a uh, good old Dukes. Hey, good old Dukes, who I, I thought struggled as much as anyone in the first half. I thought there were that him and, and Hughes, not getting too far away from your, your point, um, were trying to thread passes into spaces that weren't quite there and didn't seem to be happening for them. But then, yeah, he sort of picked the ball up, had a little bit of a sort of run across the edge of the area. At one point, I thought he'd taken too heavy a touch and I was waiting for the tackle to come in. He's managed to sort of wrap his left boot around it, and, and the next thing you see, it's in the back of the net. It was quite a, quite a good finish because I didn't I didn't think we were going to score from where we were there. Um, and then uh, Fulham did get a, a goal back, uh, and as DCW said at half time, Colin, it was it was one one, and it wasn't it wasn't a great feeling at half time. No. I would like to say a big shout out to the boys from uh, Nascot Wood School, my uh, school, who uh, won the penalty shootout at half time. Uh, so that, that's a good thing for me at least. But um, yeah, the two changes were made. Were they the two? If you were forced to make two changes, were they the two that you would you had to have made? Because okay. like we say, there were many, many not quite on the ball players in that first so, half. Well, that's true. That is true. After we scored the goal, we looked a bit like, oh yeah, this is uh, this is a bit easy, and we took our foot off it. But what I want to know is, what did Happy do at half time? What was his demeanour in the dressing room? Did he walk in like a, like a sort of a classic cliche dad and said, lads? I'm not angry. <laughs> and I'm really disappointed. Yeah, totally. Because I don't think he does anger no. really, but I, I suspect when he when he looks disappointed, you you feel it in your guts as a player. And 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 a lot of those players weren't quite at it. And it was it was a collective thing. We gave the ball away. I mean, a hundred times in the first half by misplacing passes or trying passes that were too clever. Anyhow, he made exactly the right changes for me because. Uh, he brought on Gray for Delafay, and Delafay wasn't quite at the races. Physically, he wasn't quite at the races, and we've seen that from him before. He gets a bit bullied, and he doesn't fancy it. He was rolling his body. He's like, oh, I've got to run now. Yeah, yeah. And then also, he's like, you've taken 50 billion touches, and it was like, you're just not trying hard enough. No, and the other thing he did was he he, he brought on Kiko and played him. He brought on Yanmat, sorry, yeah. and, and then pushed Kiko further up the pitch, which made the pitch much wider because Kiko is a proper old school winger, not one of our narrow two-two-two, if you like. Uh, normally, Hughes and and Pereira so 
And I thought Hughes had a, I thought Hughes had a fantastic second half. I mean, when he plays centrally, his 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 movement and his little tiny passes, his layoffs, and, stuff, it, and suddenly once once we got the the second goal, then we suddenly really looked at the races and actually we looked like the team that played on Saturday and we were a bit devastating in the second half and I just want to say one thing Fulham have gone down tonight and we've sent them down obviously it's not our fault it's, yeah. it's their whole season but it is a little bit sad because I really like going <laughs> to Craven Cottage <laughs> I like the walk from the station through the park and I love the ground and I like the atmosphere in the ground and seeing the river and everything and it is a bit sad they spent so much money uh, and they just got it so badly wrong they've had three managers this season and uh yeah, so I just want to you know reach out to them and say you know commiserations really because it's been it's been a rot- rotten season for them. Yeah, the substitution half time one was Daryl Yama. Who is the other one? Uh, DCW. I think it was Mr. Andre Gray, wasn't it? We'll have to get onto exactly his impact. But there were let's say the the the, the goals though the the second goal. It was it was good to get a second goal, but wadoosh is a sound effect I can give for that. It was a fantastic finish from Hughes, and I, I was concerned because it looked like there was going to be the classic two players coming together, and I said, "Talk to each other, one of you." And Hughes got it, smashed it into the top corner, and and it was what we needed. We needed a moment of inspiration early to just get us going, and also not to just get us going, but that was the end for Fulham I've seen Fulham a number of times in the flesh this season and every time I've seen them they've had spells in the match where they've looked decent and, and they maybe scored and come back into a game or, or gone ahead even and you think okay they're not too bad but then the moment happens a team gets a goal or something goes wrong and their heads go and they and they will and they and they fold and that's exactly what they did tonight and it was it was one way traffic from that moment onwards wasn't it, it looked, every time we got the ball from then on pretty much it looked like we could score they also made a change at that point and I think Parker bought off Ream and put Sarri on sort of a bit more of an attacking player and I think that told as well because all of a sudden with our confidence we were finding massive holes in, in their back line at that point um, and it, there's a it's like ironic shouts uh, every so often with a shoot every time a Watford player had the ball um, which wasn't quite uh, necessarily going to get in, in the goal third goal was that your favourite goal was it just because well, of how come on let, let's talk about that I mean I was going you know because Andre just changed that game there was a thing on the website today talking about how he wanted to have to, he knew he had to work harder and harder and harder because he wants to start. He wants to be a starter, like, like all footballers do. And I'm sure he's enjoying the fact that he's coming off the bench and doing well and having an impact. But he wants to start and he wants to start on Sunday. And I think his performance tonight definitely puts his hat in that particular ring. Because although we love Delefeo and, and we love his movement and his pace and so on, in a game against Wolves at Wembley, you know, maybe a little bit of Andre Gray is, uh, is what we need. And it's just, a, it's just a coin toss, really, because mm-hmm. you're going to start one or the other, because you're definitely going to start Deeney. So, but tonight, as soon as he came on the pitch, Deeney just comes alive when he comes on the pitch, in a, in a really different way than when he plays with Delefeu. When he plays with Delefeu, he has a different sort of role. But when he plays with Gray, he, he, they look like two kids in a park <laughs> who score 100 goals each in, a, in an under-13 season. They really look like that. And um, the ball was flying into Deeney, and he was making these little layoffs. And Anyway... Ball comes into Andre Gray, sort of over the top. He makes some sort of magical first touch, which not only brings it under control, but then also beats the defender who doesn't have a clue what's happened. And then he's in on goal. Two defenders come back to cover. He has a look at the goal and the goalkeeper thinks, I could shoot here. And then he just checks ever so slightly, looks across and sees his pal at the far post. And he plays absolute perfect past him. And Deeney couldn't really miss it. If he had, he could have had to have left the club and come back. So, um, but so, yeah, that was probably my favourite. Although the Hughes one is a bit spectacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, was so, I was so impressed, as, as we all were, with Andre Gray tonight. I know he's been playing well lately. He's come on, he's scored important goals. But that is 
the best I've seen him play in, in a Watford shirt for 45 minutes. I mean, he, he was fantastic. It wasn't just the, the passing and the, the shots that he had, his movement. He looked strong. He looked confident. He was fizzing it into Dini's feet. Every time the ball came to him, no matter whether he had his back to goal or whether he was running onto it, he knew what to do. He knew where everyone was. He was really on it tonight. And that, that is a performance that gives Javi, as Colin said, a massive dilemma if he didn't have one already ahead of ahead of Sunday because what you know we'll get on to the game later but it, if, if it does change the way we play it's completely different if we have Dini and Gray up front or if we have Delafeo and Dini both on their day can be devastating for other teams but it's it's very different so there's a big big choice to make the other thing is that bringing Kiko in as a as a right winger does does make the pitch bigger and at Wembley that is a big pitch and also he's got the energy to track back and cover their wing backs with Jan Matt behind him who is a very very uh, accomplished Premier League player let's not forget very experienced it slightly then asks a question about what happens on the other side of the pitch but I guess if you've got Pereira uh, and Holobas behind him Holobas again came back into the team tonight and was excellent got himself booked yeah. <laughs> in the classic Holobas fashion but he was excellent and he's, he's, when he, right at the end when he got his yellow card and the, the Fulham fans are saying a swear word that brings a W I was thinking yeah, he is. And we bloody love him for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can see him going with that formation. There is, there is the Yamak Kiko thing is a really interesting combination. We've seen it a few times. Uh, and normally we see it on the back of a substitution. Uh, although we played that against City and it, it worked quite well. It's quite a good outlet for us. So I, I could see that, that final 11 being the 11 that starts, or, but with Pereira. I'm gonna. I, I, and he's it, dropping Hugh, so I, I don't really. I'm, I'm confused. Oh, I, I said they, they, there is a counter argument to that, I guess, and that is Andre's done well coming on with his quick legs against tired legs. Yeah. So is that why he's more effective coming off, uh, coming on, off the bench? So do we then say, yeah, let's start Delafeo? Perhaps he's. We need someone with more skill, slow the pace of the game down, and use skill to beat. Uh, uh, a, a solid Wolves defence then wait till they're tired and then bring Andre on if we need to I think, I think if, I, if I'm right Delfeo's first game this season was the game against Wolves away and, and he came in and have he changed the system and, and people would just assumed he would come in and play on the right wing but he didn't he played him in that role uh, you know behind Deeney as a, as a striker of- whoa, whoa, whoa. So what you're saying is DCW... It wasn't, Dini, it wasn't Dini, it was success. Oh, yeah, but what you're saying is that they played badly in the first half to put off Wolves scouts. <laughs> well, I don't know, but, I mean, he, he, you know, he might look at that and think, well, that that worked, that selection that day, playing in that way, worked against Wolves. We, we were the first team to really give them a bit of a hiding this season, and they, they've come on since then, and they've had a fantastic season. They've just beaten Manchester United this evening. So they're going to go into this game as confident as we are, but... It's, it's an intriguing tactical battle that we have on our hands, I think. We'll get to that in a bit. But uh, Colin, let's rewind to the beginning of the night. I was ru- uh, running here, well, far to walk, um, looking look at my phone, checking the teams. And uh, it almost felt like, I thought, I wonder if Colin's in the same thought process he had on Saturday when he saw a very strong Watford team, but two centre-halves that made him question things slightly. And you said on Saturday, oh, it might be that he's auditioning people. Do you think he's auditioned enough to know who he's going to cast in um, there on Saturday? I think if, Sunday? I was, if I was Javi, I'd still be... Well, I'm not Javi, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, I'm not manager of this football club. But if I was the manager of this football club, I would still have a slight concern about which two to pick. And I have to say, I'm slightly leaning towards Cathcart and Cabaselli because I didn't think Mariapa had a great first half. 
he's gone off the boil ever so slightly. I think the mistake against Palace was, was a really bad one and led to a goal, which is the worst kind of mistake for a defender, obviously. And Cabaselli's come in, also Britos. I mean, you can't rule Britos out, and he is left-footed, and it does make a difference, but he hasn't got the pace uh, of Cabaselli. So, for me, I think there's, there's an issue. I think Cathcart starts, and then I think you've got a, a, a slight, again, another bit of a coin toss about whether you go with Maps and his pace and his courage, mostly his reliability, or you, you go with maybe Cabaselli or, or possibly Britos. I think Britos is probably fourth in line. But, as you say, Fulham, unfortunately, have been, uh, for them, have been relegated. Uh, but Watford are won there. 46th point of the season. More points than pods. pods. <laughs> yeah, it is still. And more points than we've had in the Premier League. Uh, in modern footballing era, as in after 1992, uh, and that's a fantastic achievement, let alone being an FA Cup semi-final. It is progress. And if there's one thing we wanted this year, it was progress. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans, from the rookery end. So look, let, let's move on. There's a big game on Sunday. We've talked about it. You're thinking about it, and we're thinking about it. I haven't dreamt about it yet, but that nightmare will come in the next few nights, I feel. To get ready, uh, we've talked to a friend of the podcast, uh, Jackie Oakley. Uh, you may know her from uh, television and the BBC, Match of the Day. Uh, she was an ITV coverage of uh, the World Cup over in Russia. Uh, and she's a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan. Uh, she's the first person to give us a shout-out as a podcast on the radio. Uh, way back nine years ago and uh, we caught up with her or I caught up with her last night to get a bit of a preview from a Wolverhampton Wanderers perspective Are you a sort of an excited fan or are you more of a, um, a nervous fan? A bit of both probably more nervous on this occasion I think it's fair to say because it's not quite uncharted territory it was at the 1998 FA Cup semi-final but this feels very different and one of the reasons is because it's at Wembley so it has much more of a sense of occasion. Another reason is because I think the sides were rather more equal than they were back then. That was a 1-0 defeat to Arsenal but really there was only one side in it. It was just a, a procession and it was a complete nothing non-event. And the manager, Mark McGee, put Steve Bull and um, Robbie Keane on the bench, which the fans have never quite forgiven him for. <laughs> yeah. Starting Steve, starting Steve Claridge, who never scored for the club. And this, hopefully, will be at least more of a contest, more of an occasion. Uh, I just can't wait. And it, it's weird to be looking forward to something really just as a supporter, rather than thinking of it in any kind of journalistic context. I want to sort of figure out where Wolves fans are. I lived in Wolverhampton for a couple of years and worked on the radio up there. That town, I remember you know, Wolverhampton getting 20-odd thousand in a you know, second round, maybe only first round, League Cup game. The sport is, is massive. Where, where does it sit at the moment, do you think? Because we've been through as what fans, we know that people look at us in the wrong way, um, we always feel. I think from the outside, it's Wolverhampton is sort of seen as you know, this agent has come along and and you know inputted quite a lot with these new owners is uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers fans happy at the moment not just with results but with with everything that's sort of going on yeah I think that's fair to say they're very 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 happy they really are because it is literally two years ago two years ago that we had Paul Lambert in charge playing funeral dirge football (sighs) The players, I spoke to players uh, who I knew, um, who said we had no idea what to do with the ball in possession. We weren't given any instructions. And it, I remember they went to Burton away, Burton who had zero budgets in comparison um, and very few points. And the tactic was to 
hit the front man with a long ball. They weren't allowed to play football. Um, and the front man was five foot five. So the football was just horrendous. And they lost seven, six games in a row. And we're heading towards uh, the third division, League One. That's literally two years ago. So when you contrast that, when they got rid of Paul Lambert, brought in Walter Zenk, you're okay, that was a bit random. That wasn't the plan. It's supposed to be Yulun Lopetegui, but then he went to Spain at the very last minute. Once he'd gone and then Nuno came in, it's just been a complete turnaround. And yes, okay, I can totally understand from the outside how you're all looking in and going, um, and going, George Mendes FC and Mendes has done this and Mendes has done that. And I can assure you that I'm not partisan enough to be completely blinkered to everything. And I talk to a lot of people in the game as a journalist. And I know a lot of directors. Um, I know a lot of people in other clubs and I managers. Uh, fans, all sorts of pundits, players, lots of different types of people. I've spoken to lots of them. And people from outside the club have said, no, 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 the only reason that people are really upset is because it's been successful and mm. quickly. Yeah. And they've said, well, actually, if you look at other clubs, for example, Birmingham, they would heavily rely on a single agent, but you never heard about it because they spent a huge amount of money and it wasn't successful. They absolutely bombed and then got into all sorts of trouble that we now know about. But because it was successful, people go, oh, well, look at the agent situation and that can't be right and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I can see both sides of it. I understand why there's jealousy, if you like, but it was quite amusing and fans are particularly amused by old rivals Villa, who we don't despise by any stretch of the imagination. It's Albion first, then Birmingham and Villa. We have a sort of a grudging respect for knowing that they won the European Cup, etc. No, they're a very big club, so no problem there. Um, But them and their manager at the time, Steve Bruce, is slagging off. Wolves and Mendes, etc., and um, and then um, them doing something very similar, and then jumping into bed with Mendes too. So, it, yeah, the the irony has not been lost on Wolves fans that it was really only because it was successful, um, and that they were doing well that there has really been that level of focus on it. But really, I think, of course, his connections have played a big part. Um, but as as do all agents at, at all clubs. Um, play a big part in in who goes in, who goes out. But it's the way that they've done it with, yes, a lot of money from Foson. But as we've seen so many times over the years, look at Fulham. Fulham spent a lot more money than Wolves, a lot more money in the summer. But because they had no coherent strategy and brought in players such as Alfie Mawson, who I'm assured was a a moneyball type signing based on stats by somebody who was not the manager. They brought in square pegs for round holes and there was no real strategy to get the best out of the unit. And then they lost... Um, what should have been their main positive, which was the likes of Ryan Fessignon being a key part of that. And he's got lost being shunted around to different positions and, and Tom Kearney as well. And, and the fans have lost a lot of the connection they had with the club. So Wolves haven't done that. They kept together the core. Nuno's strategy is to keep a very small squad, which has pros and cons. So he doesn't have players knocking on his door going, when am I going to start? When am I going to start? Because um, the players all know exactly what their role is. They all feel part of it. They know where they have to be at any given time on the pitch. The manager trusts them. And his bond with the fans is phenomenal. The club's bond with the fans is phenomenal. They have a a British managing director in in Laurie Dalrymple, who's very much a people person, an honest kind of bloke. And he's totally bonded with the fans. And so there isn't that, even though the results have been good, and of course you can say, yeah, it's only because you're winning that, that you care about these things. But no, they would have bought themselves time because they communicate well with the fans. And, you know, the MD will go to the local pub with a chairman before 
Brentford away and say, hey, anyone who's in one of these pubs before kickoff, come and see us and we'll buy your pint. And that's not a PR marketing strategy. That's just the MD is a good bloke who likes people and he's, I've seen him in action. Um, no cameras on him or anything. And he's just a, a genuinely good man who loves his job, loves working for the club and, and likes bringing everyone together. So it has really been a combination and a formula which touch wood has worked because you're literally what, what you're saying the tones and the way you're feeling about managers and their what they're achieving and chief executives and and, and how they come across to fans it, it literally sounds like you're talking about Watford in terms of how we feel about mm. our club as well yeah how, but yeah. you know is you know it feels like you know we've been in the Premier League a few years now and had a, a bunch of managers who have you know just kept us up it, it really feels like but Javi is no, the, the next level uh, and more, and maybe the next level, just much more fitting. Do you think the current world manager, you know, it, it, he is, because of the man he is, he has, it's, it's fitted together so quickly? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no way they could have done any of this without Nuno. I mean, it was Fosun and Mendes mm. was there when, Venga, when uh, Walter Zenga was there. Totally different outcome totally different it was only when I think earlier I mentioned the other way around but it, it was Enga first and Lambert of course but it's only when Nuno's come in that things have knitted together properly and he is everything he is so intense I know a lot of people who work at the club and on the backroom staff and what have you and he is super super intense but I think in a good way because it keeps everybody on their toes my god do those staff have to work hard that's something that's maybe overlooked is the backroom star a little bit, not within the club. I mean, if you recall when Nuno were manager of the month, um, he refused to have a photo taken of him and the trophy. He said, no, no, no. If you want to take a photo, you can take it of all the staff and me. Yeah. There were something like 15 of them or whatever. You know, the fitness coach, the doctor, the physio, everybody. He said, because it is a team. And if you if you look at it, I swear I don't want to tempt fate <laughs> for the Man United game, but um, they have a clean bill of health. And that was the case last season. They very, very rarely, I think it was right at the end of the season that Ivan Cavallero had um, a calf strain and that was unheard of because they managed the load so carefully and they are so super intense with the, the attention to detail. And you see other other managers complaining about being down to the bare bones and they've got hamstrings and pulls and tweaks and, and everything. And, and there is science behind it and there is attention to detail and there is a strategy behind it to try to minimise, you can't do anything about impact injuries, of course, um, but to minimise the, the risk of injury. And, and that is all part of what they are achieving behind the scenes and, and preparing the players that they're mentally focused, physically totally focused. I mean, Connor Cody played every single minute of every every single match, league and cup the entire season. He looks fresh as a daisy. So they're getting it right off the pitch before they can go anywhere near the pitch. But let's talk about the pitch. What do we, apart from the lovely well-cut grass at Wembley <laughs> these days, in fact, you said he had such a small squad. And it seemed to me when we, Watford played Wolves at Molyneux early in the season, that, you know, you hadn't hardly changed the starting eleven. Um, very mm. fixed on, on that eleven. I think we'd made a couple of changes that day and just, sort of just mixed it up and we maybe weren't what, you know, what Wolves were expecting from, from Watford. Has that, has that developed over the, the year for you? And do you think you could sit and name the 11 exactly for Sunday? Or Yes, I could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, barring injury, absolutely. But it's so good anybody else. That's not a secret. But he has changed the strategy as well. And by the way, that 2-0 defeat, which you fully deserved that day, completely. They did make a, a tactical change because teams were working them out. And if you recall, uh, the Super Sunday match which they lost at home to Huddersfield. 
which was an awful performance. So that was after your game, but that was in, in November. And that was another one, the second one, losing 2-0 at home after an international break. It was around that time that people watching, apart from the terrible performance full stop, tactically, Huddersfield got it right that day. And they had been watching videos, clearly, and they have seen that Neves and Matinho were quickly being swamped in midfield by the opposition. And then if you do that, you nullify, nullify the effect of their passing um, and you dominate the midfield and you've got a living good chance of winning the game. So that's what was happening. So it was around Christmas time that Nuno said, OK, maybe I need to use this £12 million loan come permanent signing, which he will be in the summer. Leander Zendonka, who he hadn't particularly warmed to when he came back overweight from the World Cup. And it took him a long time to really warm to the idea of using it. He wasn't even on the bench for ages. He played in the League Cup and did nothing wrong, but still couldn't get a look at it. It took him ages to get his first game. Um, but since Dendonka has been integrated as a starter in that midfield, Wolves have really, really changed the way they play. And it's a lot harder for the opposition to nullify the effect. Not impossible by any stretch, um, but it's harder to to nullify the effect of, of Neves and Matinho because you've got a slightly harder man in Dendonka in there doing the donkey work and, and winning the ball back, sort of Owen Hargreaves style and, and giving it to the more creative midfield pair uh, who were able to pass the ball and throw the ball out to the full backs of Johnny and, uh, and Matt Doherty. And, and as we know, they, they go and do their stuff from there with the combination of Jota, Raul Jimenez, who's been a revelation, absolute revelation this season. Um, up front and those two combine well very unselfish everybody's very much a team player there's not like one player that you look at and go right if we nullify that threat then then we'll stop them playing there, there really isn't that because they are all so much a well-oiled machine and, and work in tandem with each other rather than you know you, you stop one threat then then you stop Wolves playing it's not really like that anymore and, and that's really made a big big difference to the way they play so come on then, you're facing Watford. How are you feeling about this Watford team? You know, are, are we mm. a better place than you? I know points and you know positions in the the league say something, but in the, in in recent form and recent uh, performances, you know, we're we were jubilant after losing away at Manchester United. Not just because did we do well against Manchester United, but it was a fantastic performance. How do you think Wolves fans are going to be feeling coming into Sunday facing Watford? So they'll be feeling buoyant from the point of view that they have a lot of faith in their own team and they've seen them go away uh, on the big occasion to Wembley, for example, this season when we won 3-1, having not really been in the game much first half and then just totally overran Spurs second half. Um, going to, you know, They've enjoyed going to London this season, frankly. Um, haven't lost there, should have beaten Arsenal. It was a one-all draw. Did beat uh, West Ham away, Palace away. Uh, drew with Fulham and, and were seconds away from beating Chelsea before they equalised late. So they'll be buoyant from that point of view and confident that in the big occasion, the players do tend to turn up. But I don't know anybody who's complacent or arrogant who thinks it's going to be a straightforward game. I don't know one Wolves fan that I speak to and hear from and follow, a heck of a lot of them. There's a huge amount of respect for Watford. Not only did you outplay us at our place this season, um, but apart from that, we watch football on the television and um, a huge amount of respect for what Javi Garcia has done in a similar way to what Nuno's done at Wolves um, and know that you are incredibly strong. And when I've seen them for, for the BBC this season, that's absolutely been the case. So I think it, I think people are more excited at the fact that this is, as I said, not quite uncharted territory. We were in a semi-final 21 years ago, those of us who remember and were there. But it's more a case of breaking free from the the mould, if, if you recall, it's only five years ago we were in League One um, and trying to get out of there. Um, and two years ago we were threatening to go back to League One under Paul Lambert. So 
it's very much a case of just enjoying where we are in terms of the upward trajectory, feeling as though we've got a team that we can really believe in, that we, a manager who the fans absolutely adore, the players who don't speak out of turn, don't let their heads drop, that, you know, they, they love the passion, the dynamism within the side. Um, there's nothing in there that you're sort of hearing negative things or, or what, what an idiot he is off the pitch or he's an arrogant phone. So you, you just don't hear that. You hear about the team ethic. So they're an easy team to love from the fans' point of view. And it's a case of going and enjoying the day and definitely having respect for Watford. I'm a little bit concerned about Sunday, I've got to be honest. Um, maybe that's a bit of superstition, but I, I've seen Watford play a fair bit this season and have a huge amount of respect. And of course, you've got Troy Deeney, who uh, mm. is a blue nose. He's a brummy lad and he loves nothing more than ruffling feathers, shall we say. That's the politest way of putting it, isn't it? <laughs> and, and upsetting these fancy foreign uh, uh, defenders um, and uh, making his presence felt. So, yeah, he'll be absolutely desperate to drag you into the cup final. And uh, Wolves feel the same. So I think it's I think it's nicely balanced. I think it's, it's I don't know if nice is the right word for it, but it, it's a game to really look forward to enjoy. It's not like if it was Man City, you'd be thinking, oh, God, can we pull off a giant killing? God, the talent they've got. Um, from a Watford point of view, I think the teams are fairly evenly matched and it's a case of who plays better on the day, holds the nerve, takes the chances and that kind of thing, which is, is something to look forward to, isn't it? Because we don't know. We have no idea what the outcome will be. Yeah, it's the most exciting tie, I think, of a, yeah, for a long, definitely. long time. And we know we're definitely. not going to see a cagey you know, half an hour start between two top six sides. Um, I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, straight from the start, it's going to be a, a yeah, great, and great I, Exactly, start. and I think you feel about your side the way we feel about our yeah. side. And, 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 and also, there's no bad blood between the sides that, that I can remember over the years. I remember being heartbroken when you equalised late on in the early 90s somewhere, <laughs> um, and they ruined the rest of my week, but that, that's just my own bad um, life. It's not a club that anybody in Wolverhampton has anything but respect for. So it, it's one of those where I think there'll be a lot of colour and fun and happiness and joy on Wembley Way. Blooming hope not too many half half scars because they'll clash a bit, won't they? <laughs> 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 they'll be they'll just be see a kind of yellow and what's supposed to be gold, but it's a bit too yellow for my life. I think it'll be a great occasion and I just hope uh, I just hope that it's an absolutely brilliant ding dong affair and um and it's a great occasion and um and I hope it's I think it's just a great day for them. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! After speaking to Jackie of actually Wolves fans and where Wolves, their journey they've been on recent years is so similar to us. And their love for their manager is so similar to our love for, for Javi. And this game is literally going to be a, another toss of a coin. It, it, it's on a knife edge. It's, it's going to be a moment. It's going to be... It's, it could go either way, DCW. I just I couldn't even tell you what's going what's gonna to happen or what type of game it's going to be. It is on a knife edge, you're right. And I, I think if you're looking for things to give Watford fans hope, there, there are two things I'm going to point out here. <laughs> One of which is obviously we've beaten them already this season and they do tend to struggle with teams that maybe are perceived not to be as good as them or, or below them or we're sort of at the same level as them but they've struggled with that they've, they've, beat, they've been excellent against the big teams they've just beaten another one tonight they've, they've got a great record against the top six patchy against the rest of the teams in the league they've lost to Huddersfield twice this season I think Can you believe? Twice. yes they have um, 
And, and the other reason for, for everyone to have hope that we can we can win this semi-final, we can beat Wolves, is that I'm not going to be there. <laughs> uh, and every time we have a big game and a big historic moment in the last 10, 15 years, I'm not there. Every big game I've been to, the, sem- the playoff final, the semi-final against Palace, the time when we stuffed it up against Wednesday here to win the league, it always goes wrong. So I'm, I'm, me and Mike, we're going off to a different continent to give ourselves a chance on Sunday. <laughs> time zones, get as many in between as we can. But what kind of game, Jace, do you think it's going to be? I said last week uh, backstage at uh, Tales of the Vicarage that I sort of it was the to the neutral. It's it's going to be the best of the semi-finals out of all the different possibilities it could have been. I think I, I think there will be a, a dependency on the Saturday result. Um, I think if if Man City win, which we expect to happen, then it'll probably be a slightly cautious semi-final. If Brighton win. I think it's going to be very cautious and everyone's going to be really nervous on the pitch, in the crowd. It's going to be, oh my God, what an opportunity we've got. Don't mess it up. Cautious, it's just that level of cautiousness will depend on that Saturday result. And Colin, what are you expecting? Who, who are you expecting to be the big turner-upper for Watford on Sunday? Javi Grazia, hopefully. I think it's his job to make sure that what Jace has just outlined doesn't happen. And they go on the pitch, and I know it's a cliche, but it's just another game. It's Wolves, we've beaten them already. I want you to be relaxed, I want you to execute the game plan. They'll be talking about it tomorrow, the next day, and so on. And I think that his, his job now is a man management job. I mean, it's a tactical job, but he's already done that, presumably. So it's about how he gets the players ready, mentally, to walk out onto that massive great pitch in front of 80,000 people. Uh, and play well. What I'm expecting... Can I just say, that beeping noise in the background is, is the Fulham coach backing back to the championship. It's a bit harsh. <laughs> like, well, it's a harsh noise. It's quite annoying. It's going to ruin this. The, the, yeah, it's, it's the bus I'm annoyed at, not the club itself. It's just annoying noise. It's going to ruin the sound quality of this podcast. What I'm expecting is for them to come out fast and try to dominate, especially down the flanks. And I think Javi will set us up to soak up some pressure in the way that we did against City. That's what I think he'll do. I think he'll he'll keep us narrow, keep us tight. He'll try to stop their wing backs like he did at Molyneux and try to win the game on the break. If we get our noses in front, it's going to be very, very hard for them. But if we get our noses behind, equally, it's going to be very, very difficult for us. I think, I think it is a bit of a clash of styles. We're a bit more physical. We're a bit tougher. They've got a bit more flair when they get into their game. But they lost to Burnley. So that, those are the games they find hard, as uh, DCW has just outlined. So I think there will be a slight clash of stars. I suspect them, they will have more of the ball than we will, particularly in the first half. Uh, and then we'll just see how the game plans out. And then it's about game management, isn't it? Do you bring on Andre? Or have you started Andre? Do you bring on Delefe? When do you bring him on? Do you bring on Kika? What, you know, so it's all those things. And, and great managers are great at that. And that makes the difference. He did it tonight. He made two substitutions at half-time. He was properly angry. <laughs> he made two substitutions. And, okay, they, and, and when you say the game, what do you say? You know what? What was he like at half time? I think at best he would have just tipped over a, a tea. He wouldn't have smashed that teacup. He's already gone, boys. This is it. This is how I feel. Knocked over the teacup. I go. That's all you need to know. I would love to know what he's actually said to Pereira and to Delafeo, because you know, do you go in and say, look, you two, that was that was nowhere near good enough, and you know, I'm you've got to butt your ideas up and I'm having serious thoughts about, about next week or does he say you know what guys don't worry about it we need you for Sunday just sit this one out we're going to bring some of the other boys on it's, it's, it's you know he will, he will know the right approach to, to those yeah. players my gut says he would have just gone boys I'm taking you off and that's that, and that's that. Yeah. they'll know 
they'll know why they'll know that he's thinking they'll know because I think that's what I love about this team they seem to know what's, what's wrong what to do how everyone's feeling he didn't have to be obvious in any shape or form to know to, to know how he felt we did, str- we did struggle a bit I think with Fulham's wing-backs tonight in the first half they were they were getting into they were making the pitch very wide they were getting down the sides of us particularly you know that was one of the aspects of Delafeo and Pereira's performance which probably had the hand in them going off they weren't really tracking them in back and they were leaving our fullbacks out outnumbered and, and Wolves, Wolves are going to do that as well and their players are better than Do- those, than those, than those Doherty. Doherty he's had such a great season as he yeah. could cause us problems if we don't take care of him on Sunday yeah the other player that might come into contention because of exactly what's just been described is someone like Isaac, who could play on the left instead of Pereira, uh, because he does he does track back like he did at City. He was really good against City for the first half. Um, he's a bit of a nutcase, but, but, and I probably I don't see that, that he would pick him because I think you've got to pick Pereira because he's got so much more quality. Is he fit? As a question, question over his fit. He was warming up tonight. He was running up and down. I think it was a knock he got. Um, I think the only actual clear injury we've got at the moment is Tom Cleverley. Everyone else was just a, a knock. The thing about bringing, Kiki, uh, bringing on Yanmat and pushing Kiko up was it stopped exactly what, what DCW just described. It stopped them getting around the side of us. And we're going to have to do that against Wolves. We really are, because that's what they do. <laughs> We're off to Wembley. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Oh yes, we are. Uh, I'm sure that emotion roller coaster will happen many times uh, over the next few days. DCW, where are you going to be watching the game? Me and Mike and Arlo and the rest of the Parkins. We will be in New York because we're going to WrestleMania <laughs> on the same day. Because of the time difference, though, it, I think it's an 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, in New York so we're going to go to I think the football factory in New York and meet up with some of the New York Hornets and hopefully it will be a day to remember Are you going to be in the glamorous locations uh, Colin for the game like New York? No I'm going to be in the Green Man (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then I'm going to be in the 1881 section giving it as much uh, vocal as I can Definitely. And Jason, Colin's podcast said on Saturday, you know, family is such an important thing and you're going with a huge number of your family. I am, yeah. There's, there's ten of us all together. There's a few uh, a couple of friends in there as well. But it's, yeah, family from both my and my missus' side of the family um, all coming along. So, so yeah, we, we're hoping to be able to celebrate together. I remember the last time we won at Wembley. I think I, my sister came along with me and my missus sat together. Uh, and I remember an England game at Wembley when we beat Scotland 2-0 I was there with my dad and my brother and my sister so we've got good history behind us of being <laughs> as a family at Wembley here's hoping that this time we make complete the hat-trick well it is such a big game it is a game that could easily make a few legends uh, on the playing staff and some memories uh, for us as fans Yay! a trip to Wembley such things that dreams are made of come on you all!